Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to giving you scientific strategies to manage your mental health, boost your mood and heal your mind. In today's episode, I interview mindfulness meditation and manifesting expert Emily Fletcher on how meditation can improve your mental and physical health, common mistakes people make when meditating, how to make meditation a daily habit, myths and misconceptions about meditation, the power of manifesting, how to go beyond mindfulness and why this is essential and so much more. Before we dive into this amazing interview, I want to thank all of you who tune into each episode. Your support means everything to me and I love seeing how these episodes are helping you clean up your mental mess. If you haven't done so already, I would love it if you could take a few moments to rate and review my podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, on to today's episode. Emily, I'm so excited to interview you. This is going to be lots of fun and very educational, so welcome. The question is, are you more excited or am I more excited? <laughs> I'm such a big fan of you, so thanks oh, for having me. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I think it's going to be, we're both excited, so it's going to be a great interview, so that's wonderful. Well, first of all, just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, maybe a little bit that's not in your bio because they've heard your bio, and you know what motivates you to do what you do. And don't forget your story about Broadway. I like that story. Okay. Well, I'd say something currently about me that people don't know is that I love doing one song dance parties with my son. I have a two-year-old son and since we're all a little cooped up, you know, we do these one song dance parties and that's been really fun. I mean, it's so fascinating in a in a time where the world feels more stressed than it's ever been, at least in our yeah. lifetimes. Yeah. You know, I just feel really grateful to have a tool that can help so many people because yeah. I'm sure like you, I like to be of service. I want to help people. When I find something that works for mm-hmm. me, I want to share it. And that's why I do what I do selfishly. I really love waking up to emails from my students saying, Hey, I slept through the night for the first time in 20 mm-hmm. years. I stopped biting my nails. I got a scholarship. I didn't apply for, I got pregnant at 42. Like, you know, I just, I love getting great stories. Those stories. So selfishly, that's, that's why I, I do it. The Broadway story, the Cliff Notes is I used to be on Broadway for 10 years. It's what I wanted to do since I was a little girl. Wonderful. And my last Broadway show was a chorus line where I was understudying three of the lead roles, which is pretty intense, pretty high wow. stress. And I found I was going gray, having insomnia, had insomnia for 18 mm-hmm. months, going gray at 26, wow. Wow. getting sick and injured learned meditation. It cured my insomnia on the first night. I did not get sick for eight and a half years. I stopped getting injured. And I'd say most importantly, I started enjoying my job again. And I just thought, why does everyone not do this? And so I left Broadway. I went to India. I started what became a three-year training process to be a teacher. And so it wasn't it's not like a weekend yoga certification. It's a little bit more akin to getting a PhD in the Vedas, but I didn't go to a university. Like I don't have any certificates or anything, but it was a really intensive, amazing study. And then, you know, since graduating, like you said, I've taught 25,000 people to meditate. And now it's just a matter of refining and honing and making sure that these tools are as relevant as possible and as applicable as possible to our current reality, which is, as you know, Mm -hmm. changing by the second. Absolutely. We need everything. We need to be able to use whatever we've got, all our resources to be able to cope. So that's so important. Well, you've you've developed the Ziva. Have I said that correctly? Ziva method? Okay. So tell us about the, tell us about Ziva and the Ziva method and why is it different? And and in that, just define meditation, because I know there's so many 
different understandings of meditation and it's so popular and it's the buzzword. Yes. So the Ziva technique is a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting, the three M's, if you will. And where this gets a little confusing for people is that what most people are calling quote unquote meditation, I would define as mindfulness. So Mm -hmm. most of the apps, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in studios, anytime where someone's guiding you through an exercise and you are directing your focus, I would categorize that as mindfulness, which is awesome and very good at dealing with your stress in the now. It's very good at creating a state change, right? Like I had a crazy day at work. I did 10 minutes of this app. I feel better in the now. My husband and I got into a fight. I did five minutes of breathing. I feel better in the now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Different than the type of meditation that I teach. So this type of meditation, if mindfulness is all about focusing, meditation is all about surrendering. It's all about Mm. letting go. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, that when you do this type of meditation, you're giving your body rest that's somewhere between two to five times deeper than sleep. When we give it that rest, it knows how to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing here is not only from the stress from today, but all the stress from our past. And this is a big differentiating point between mindfulness and meditation. Mindfulness, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Mm-hmm. Meditation, very good at getting rid of your stress from the past. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Every time we've ever launched into fight or flight, it's left an open window on our brain computer. And perhaps you know more about this than I do, but what I've heard is that by the time you're 20 years old, the average adult has approximately 10 million of these open windows. They're called premature cognitive commitments. And over time, they slow us down. That's the thing that makes us stupid, sick, and slow as a species. Mm -hmm. It's why none of us perform at the top of our game when we're chronically Mm -hmm. stressed. And so this is really why the meditation portion of Ziva creates this big increase in performance, because as you go in and close down all those old irrelevant windows, you have more computing power, more energy for the task at hand. So your to-do list that used to take you five hours starts to take you three. The decision that used to take you three months takes you 30 seconds. You're more creative. You're more intuitive. You're more improvisational, you know, throughout your Mm -hmm. life. So that's the second M, the meditation. And then the third M is manifesting. And I, you know, I get some eye rolls from scientists and high achievers who are like, oh boy, Emily, you want me to secret my dreams? And uh, yeah. I would define manifesting quite simply as consciously creating a life you love. Mm-hmm. It's just you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. It's yeah. in the, the address into the GPS rather than just driving around aimlessly and being like, I wonder why I'm not there yet. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's helpful to have a direction. Might you veer off course? Might there be a roadblock? Yes. You know, it's not yeah. magic, yeah. but it is good to have the destination in mind because when we're manifesting, we're actually programming the reticular activating system or the RAS, which is the brain's filtration device. And so, you know, you and I might have the exact same skill set, history, and intellectual aptitude, but you might want to be a scientist and I might want to be on Broadway. We have different dreams. Yeah. And so our brains are going to filter out and in information that's relevant to our dreams. Mm-hmm. So, so those are three M's, mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. The simple way to remember, mindfulness, really good at dealing with your stress in the now. Meditation, really good at dealing with your stress in the past. And manifesting, great for helping with your dreams for the future. Fantastic. Well, I do a lot of clinical research and you know that from, you follow the work that I do and you asked about the 10 million by the time you're an adult. It's actually, you can't really put a number on it because it's so unique to each individual. But what's so important, what you said there is that we do have stuff we haven't dealt with. And it is really, and and you also talk about this, I've seen it in your webpage, but talk about how we store things in our body as well. So I always use this image of the tree. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's a toxic thought because thoughts are real things. So just to, my listeners are very used to the science and just to reorientate them back into what you said and to under sort of to, to explain it when you talk about having the traumas of the past that we're dealing with with meditation these talks whatever you go through becomes a physical experience in your brain and your body and your spirit so it's in three places and this I mean, it's toxic instead of healthy. I always use this one. Then you are going to, this causes an imbalance of energy. And that's not anything weird. I mean, energy is what makes cell phones work and this Zoom work and whatever. So energy, so this is toxic energy though. And, and, and meditation, when you the way you're explaining it is mindfulness makes us aware of this and kind of control and meditation helps us to start dealing with this. Because so, my work deals is a lot with also bringing it up, dealing with it and going beyond the mindfulness. So that's just to undergird what you were saying there about the scientific side of 
of this whole process and how important it is. You can't really move forward in your life if you're stuck in the past or you're kind of just crashing through the day, which is what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So, or just playing out the same cycles again and again because we're not even aware of the thought of, or the belief yeah, or the trauma. Exactly. And it's just like driving us because the, the, these are undealt with. They're driving you, which is really quite something. How do you see meditation improving mental health? Because you, so you said you get lots of great emails and you've trained so many people. So let's link it back to maybe let's just start at the beginning. Let's define meditation because you've made a clear distinction between them. Do you want to start with mindfulness first or meditation? And then let's take each and then link it to mental health. Sure. So mindfulness, as far as the technique is concerned, is anytime you're directing your focus. So if someone's guiding you through, you're visualizing your chakras, you're imagining a memory, you're counting your breaths, you know, anytime where you're giving your brain a specific point of focus, I would define that as mindfulness. And you're working a very different part of the brain. You know, the prefrontal cortex is activated because you're consciously focusing on something. This is different than the type of meditation that I teach at Ziva, which like I said, is all about surrender. So what does that Mm. mean? It's about letting go. It's about giving the body deep healing rest. And so at Ziva, we use a tool. The tool is called a mantra. And that word mantra is tricky because that word's been very hijacked by the wellness industry. You know, people think that mantra means slogan or affirmation or like, I'm a strong, angry woman or I deserve (laughs) abundance. Yeah. And, you know, those are great. Affirmations are awesome. I use them when I work out. I think there's power in them but they're different than the original meaning of the word mantra, which Mm -hmm. is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind and trut means vehicle. So Mm, the mantras as intended, yeah, they're mind vehicles and they're designed to take us from these active layers of left brain thinking and settle us down into more subtle layers of right brain being. And I know that left brain, right brain is an oversimplification, but really what I mean when I say that is prefrontal cortex or like whole brain cohesion. Coherence, coherence, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the mantra is basically just settling down the mind and body and basically de-exciting the nervous system. And when you de-excite something, you create order. Like if you think about a pot of boiling water, if you heat it up and excite it and put one grain of rice in there, it would be very hard to extract the grain of rice because Mm. it's so excited. Mm. So if we imagine that that grain of rice is the stress in our nervous system that wants to come out, the body wants it to come out. But if we're constantly in fight or flight, running around nervous and stressed, it's it's hard for the stress to leave the body. So the mantra's job is to go in and de-excite the nervous system. When you de-excite something, you create order. You create order in your nervous system and then it's much easier for that lifetime of trauma and stress to start to come up and Yeah, because you've blocked the, yeah, that's so that's so accurate. If I look at the research I've done there, if you don't get your alpha, whatever, what will happen as you do, as you, as you calm down your nervous system, you increase alpha, which helps you then access, connect this, the non-conscious part of the mind with the conscious part of the mind. So that's really what you, what you're doing there with the meditation. Yeah. And interestingly, you just said that the conscious part and the non-conscious part, because one of the effects of, of this style of meditation over time is a thickening of the corpus callosum, you know, which is the bridge yes. between the right and left hemispheres yes. of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't just a mental shift. There's actually physical things changing in your body. And this thickening of the corpus callosum is just one of many. Yeah. So, you know, we we're saying like linking it back to mental health. I would say that, you know, you go in every day and what I teach is twice a day, de-excite the nervous system, bring your body out of that sympathetic into the parasympathetic, into that rest and digest, you know, many, many things can happen to help improve mental health. The first is I'd say 90%, we have like a 90% success rate with insomnia. So, you know, a lot of insomnia is stress related. And so your sleep gets better, just bang, right off the bat. Your emotions are better, your hormones are better, your IQ gets better. And actually there's some new studies saying that meditation can improve your IQ, increase your IQ by up to 12 points. It can reverse your body age by somewhere between eight to 15 years, depending on what study. Mm -hmm. It can improve your sex drive, your sex you know, just not only your drive, but also the quality of your sex, because when you're stressed, you're, you know, mm. your physical sensations get dampened. Yeah. And then we've had a lot of people report IBS, that their IBS mm-hmm. gets better, even though I don't, I've never personally dealt with that and we don't advertise it on the website. So it was a bit of a surprise. To yeah. Me. But the main ones are just anxiety and depression, which yeah. in India you would say are two sides of the same coin. I know they're both very complex things, Yeah, but you could say that they're both symptoms of a deeper underlying. Oh, that's definitely stress. absolutely. They're just symptoms. They're not illnesses. They're definitely symptoms, as you say, of an underlying stress. And it could be. It's a multitude of things that it could be. So they're just a warning signal. Absolutely. Mm. 
So there's the meditation. And then the manifesting, I like to think about it as the dessert course of the Ziva technique. You know, with the mindfulness we use as the appetizer, yeah. the meditation really is the main course. And then we finish with the manifesting. And, you know, we human beings, we feel happiest when we are engaged, when we're of service, when we feel like we're working towards a greater goal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us forgot our goals or we set it and yeah. then we just, we didn't achieve it and we felt guilty about it. So we don't, we feel scarred and I don't want to set a new goal or I'm afraid to even say out loud what my dream is because I'm terrified that I won't Mm -hmm. achieve it. And so we have this complex relationship with our dreams so much so that people convince themselves they don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. And so really the manifesting is using the sacred time at the end of the meditation where the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison and asking this very simple question, what would I love right now? And notice I'm not saying, what do I want? Not what do I need? Not mm. what did I promise? Not what am I going to post on Instagram? But what would I love? <laughs> mm. Which puts you into possibility and spirit. And what would I love now? Present moment awareness. Not what did I major in in college? Not what do I want written on my tombstone? But now. Mm. And, and you know when you start to remind yourself every day of your dreams, even if you do have a history of trauma and stress and you know, a negative feedback loop. It's like nature doesn't like a vacuum. And because a lot of us have forgotten to remind ourselves of our dreams, we can't help but review the past, review the past, review the past, review the trauma, live those cycles. And so the manifesting is a bit of a system interrupt. It's just a habit break. Like, oh, what if we, what if we start to put that same energy that I'm spending on reviewing the past on rehearsing the future? Oh, that's so good. I love that. That's really so good. The father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, said that all disease begins in your gut. That's why it's so important, especially during these times, to protect yourself with a boosted immune system. If you are looking for a tasty way to defend yourself against harmful bacteria, then I have just the thing for you to try. It's called the Ultimate Immunity Protection Stack. And it was put together by our friends at BioOptimizers. Their immunity stack has three products which contain over 18 natural herbs and probiotic bins formulated to fight and eliminate bad bacteria like E. coli, salmonella, gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria and repair compromised gut lining, also known as leaky gut. It also includes psychobiotics which help increase serotonin and happy chemicals to naturally elevate your mood, performance and cognitive function with no side effects or dependencies. It's a great addition to your morning routine and it tastes amazing. Just stir it into any beverage, sip and enjoy. It's the ultimate way to boost your immunity right before the holiday season. During the entire month of November, they are having a Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. So really, now is the best time to try their products or buy them as early gift for someone you love. Go to www.biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use the coupon code Dr. Leaf 10 to save an extra 10% on the immunity protection stack. You won't find that deal or stack anywhere else and this is special only until November 30th. For the fastest shipping and the best deal, go to www.biooptimizers.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. There's so many questions I want to ask you. How does meditation is all over the place? There's all these meditation apps and you've already mentioned that a lot of the meditation apps where they're guiding you is more mindfulness. And mindfulness that you're talking about is the way you're focusing on breath counts or something like that. Then the actual main course of meditation that you're talking about is a very deep state that you are getting rid of all the bubbles in the boiling water so that you can find the rice. So how do you do that versus what people commonly understand to be meditation? And can you even answer that sort of question? But you know, it's important for people to understand what that is, because most people, I think, as you've quite rightly said, have a certain understanding of what meditation is. But it sounds like you're talking about something a lot deeper, a lot more challenging almost to do, perhaps. Well, I think that it's challenging if you don't have any training. And yes. this is, you know, and, if, <laughs> it's like, and if we caught up in the hurry sickness of life as well, when you're all so busy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But look, I'm not going to send anyone who doesn't know how to speak Japanese onto a 21-day Japanese-speaking challenge. It's like, well, maybe you should first learn the language of Japanese before you challenge yourself to speak it for 21 days. And the thing that we've sort of missed as a society is that meditation is, in fact, a skill. It is simple, but it is a skill. 
And because these apps have become ubiquitous with meditation, people assume that it's just someone guiding you through something. And there is no barrier to entry to calling yourself a meditation teacher. There is no certification process. Ah. And so quite literally everyone, I mean, there Everyone's are- Everyone's doing it. Hundreds of thousands of meditation yeah. teachers on these apps. Yeah. And some of them are amazing and some of them are naturally gifted, but there's not that many people who have spent years or decades training in these skills and then, and then teaching them. So what I do mm-hmm. with Ziva is that I'm not interested in an app. I'm not interested in people going to their phone to unplug. I don't, I don't really love people going to their phone to meditate. To me, it's like having an AA meeting in a liquor store. You know, it's like, <laughs> this is like the belly of the beast for distraction. You know, I train people to be self-sufficient. So once you move, I do use technology just to facilitate the training. But once people move through, it's, so Ziva Online is our like flagship training. And once people move through the 15-day training, they have the tools to take with them for life. They don't need me or Wi-Fi or headphones or finger symbols or incense or anything else. All you do once you graduate is close your eyes and bang, you can access this deep, you know, rest and digest parasympathetic on a plane, on a bus with your kids in the next room in an open floor office plan when we're doing those again. So it's, it's really quite portable once you have, but it, but it does require training. And a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just like, just do it and like, just give it away. And, and what a lot of people don't understand because again, mindfulness is being confused with meditation. Mm, Totally. When you do these practices that are healing your stress from the past, Mm -hmm. there can be a bit of a purging process. There, there's usually some sort of a physical and emotional detoxification process that accompanies that. When you you pull this up, you're pulling up memory. This is a thought. You're pulling up the memories and the emotions in this thought. And this is heavy to deal with. That's right. And so it's really important that people have some guidance, some support, a community around that process. And that's really my job. The teaching of the meditation is, it is delightful and so fun and so enjoyable. Where my job becomes a job is knowing how and when to to usher people through that purge and that catharsis and and when to tell people to keep going. You're like, I know this is intense, but stay the course versus, hey, this this seems like you're maybe a bit too raw. Why don't we dial it back a little bit? Or, hey, are you seeing your therapist? Why don't we pause and do some mindfulness for a hot second until you feel stable? And then we can go back into the purging process. So that's really Mm -hmm. the role of a teacher is to, one, screen before you start. I mean, not everyone is ready to go into Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of people, especially right now when the world is feeling so uncertain that they need to be in therapy first and they need to just practice breath work for a few months, maybe mm-hmm. and get really stable, make sure they're sleeping. And then they will have the resilience that is necessary to move through the purging. Okay. So do you, is this, when you say that you help them through it, this is then in the actual training classes that you're doing or the online classes or sessions or... Yeah. So the way that Ziva Online works is that it's it's a 15 day, it's about 15 minutes a day for 15 days. And those are pre-recorded videos. But once you graduate, you get access. We do monthly coaching calls. So I'm okay. yesterday we just did ones with face-to-face Zoom. Also, we have a beautiful online community where myself and all of my Ziva, they're called Ziva guides. We're all in there. We also, you know, we do, when I teach live, which Hopefully I'll be doing again sometime. <laughs> we all be, we all behind the camera for yeah for a while now. Gosh. When I teach live, once you graduate from the live training, you can come back to group meditations for life, you know, for as long as I'm teaching. And so that really it's not about just like wham bam, thank you, ma'am. It's not just like do the training. It's I have a vested interest in making sure that yeah. you keep meditating because then you know you're gonna be able to spread that consciousness, spread that bliss to the whole world, exactly. and you're gonna inspire more people to meditate. But if you quit, then you're not really splitting that bliss and the people around you are not as inspired to meditate. So I like helping people stay committed. That's wonderful. So they could do a 15 day online course. Now what what I'm intrigued is to, how do you manage if someone is feeling like you mentioned that if someone's feeling like they're getting too, it's too much and you tell them to stop for a moment and just do a bit of mindfulness or go to a therapist. How are you doing that now via Zoom? I mean, how is that working? Because I know people are listening now and thinking, hey, that could be me. How are you going to actually help me know when to stop? Yeah. Well, there's some videos in the beginning. So first, the first three days are mindfulness. So right out of the gate, that's what we teach people, which actually 
So even people aren't who are dealing with severe depression or severe anxiety, but have some level of it. Yeah. Before we even start the meditation, we have three days of the mindfulness training, okay. which does help people with the purging. But and there's also guided audios that are like, hey, if you're in a mayday situation, like what listen to this and it, it course corrects of like, hey, okay. we'll pull it back. Also, you know, people have 24 seven email support. We have that group where people can post. So sometimes if someone's like, I'm freaking out, you know, we just reach out to them directly um, right off, right off the bat. So it's, even though the videos are pre-done, the team and I, I mean, I have 12 employees that basically our job is to facilitate this journey for me and everybody else. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a lot of contact. I wanted just people to feel feel assured about that because I know a lot of people and there's a lot of research as well out there showing that when people get into this deep meditation that you're talking about, that it brings up stuff and it's too scary and they don't want to go there. Or they bring it up, but they don't know what to do with what they've brought up. And that's a lot of the work that I do is managing your mind. It's the beyond mindfulness. It's beyond it. What do I do when I've got all this stuff in my hand? So it's great that you have that kind of support system in place. Yeah. And thanks for bringing that up because it's actually what you just said is why I created the Ziva technique because for the first six years of my career, I was just teaching meditation and most like mm-hmm. meditation schools are just teaching yeah. that meditation, but no, not really warning people that that purge might be a part of the process. Yeah. And so that's terrifying because it's then people terrifying. think, well, I should just be like floating on a cloud of bliss. And meanwhile, I'm crying and remembering every trauma yeah. from my whole life. And if you're not warned about that, and if you're not equipped to deal with it, then it's much more scary than it needs to be. So exactly. I, I sort of overwarn people. And that's why we start with the mindfulness, not only to act as a runway, it's like a phase transition from waking state to meditation state, but also so that people have tools when and if that catharsis happens. No, that's really good. I'm very pleased you said that because one of, one of the things I saw in my most recent clinical trial was the control group. We went, we put our control and experimental groups through quite an intensive battery of tests in terms of psychological and narrative. So narrative was a huge part. What's the story, the context, the life, etc. And then also physiological tests, looking at blood, DNA, etc., etc. And you mentioned earlier on about how meditation can increase cell health. And we saw that happening with mind management and then all the neurological. And I say this to say that the ones that were in the control group did not get any mind management so they were made aware but they of self-regulating their thinking or of being not even so much is an awareness of self-regulation but an awareness of their thoughts and awareness of these things going on and that these signals and without mind management they got really bad we saw massive changes in the brain massive changes toxic changes in the brain and the body so as soon as the time period of the study was over we obviously then put them into the mind management technique to help with that process but I did that because I wanted to also see because there's so much challenge in the meditation literature and and that's why I feel this is something important we should discuss that when you become aware and you don't have anything to do with it you can get worse so it's great that you've emphasized and you cannot overemphasize enough and you're one of the first people that I've heard say this and, and it's fantastic so thank you because it, there's a lot of research that the general public aren't aware of because it would not sell the meditation apps but that meditation actually can cause problems if not managed properly what's so interesting I think, really, it's a, I think it's a decidedly female or um, let me say feminine perspective because these a lot of these meditation lineages are very dogmatic and it's been very like guru disciple and very male dominant. Mm. And, and so I think that there's something to that with this, you know, not to get too hippy dippy, but like the rising no. of the divine feminine and the democratization oh, of these just, tools and technique yeah. and knowledge. And so, you know, if you think sort of stereotypical, archetypical, like a male way or like a masculine way of like, let's just go towards enlightenment and we'll move eyes on the prize and we won't worry about any of these emotions or any of this as it's coming up versus the feminine is let's embrace the feelings. Let's integrate the feelings. Let's Mm -hmm. not shun the feelings. Let's talk about them. Let's heal them. And it's such an imperative phase of the meditation process because that's all we're up to anyways, integration. And so so not talk about something seems counterintuitive. Well, what you just said is is so scientific and so true. First of all, you hit on the fact of their sexism, even in even in meditation. And I think that's fantastic you've raised that point because just to go straight to, you know, there's the solution or well, that's what I'm going for and there's all this stuff on the way. You cannot push that away. And, and that we see from the research, 38 years of brain-mind integrative medicine research. You cannot just shove this thing down and pretend it goes away. And you pull it up and if you don't deal with that and the emotions attached through what you said, the talking and so on, this will go back stronger than before. And that's been my concern 
concern with a lot of the traditional approaches to meditation. And a lot of the research is showing that boomerang effect of that kind of thing. So you can't, you've got to know what to do with this. So I love the fact that you brought up the sexism thing. I love the fact that you brought up that it's even in meditation. And I'd never thought of it like that. And and I love the fact that you also mentioned we need to talk because one of the main things that I've discovered in my research and I developed a theory of mind and all this going beyond, I talk about mind management, going beyond mindfulness, etc., is that you have to, you have to have, you have to have a, a way of managing what comes up. You've got to embrace, process and reconceptualize. And that's pretty much what you, what you're saying as well. Different, we're doing different things, but you know, you, it's like a preparation. You're preparing people to go through the way I see it in terms of my work is that your, your approach sounds fantastic in terms of preparing the brain for the mind and the brain together. And then you can go into life much more effectively. And that's what you're telling me from your stories in the beginning is that people are falling pregnant. They couldn't fall pregnant and people are sleeping. They couldn't sleep. So they tracking and carrying it over into a sustainable way because you've gone through a three-phase approach. And I can I can see, because I, I kind of do a similar thing, but not this, I don't do the meditation like you do, but I do the mind management, the after effect, which is an area that's just not being addressed. What do I do with my thoughts and everything that after? But I see your work as being incredible preparation for that and, and having a sustainability, which is amazing. I love it. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I want. I hope we can like play and melt. Oh this yeah, together. no, no, we we definitely have to. I've got lots of ideas already popping in my head. Yeah, there's this. This is really good. So okay, so I'm going to ask you, what are some common mistakes people make when they when they meditate or first start meditating? So I'd say the biggest one is that somewhere, somehow, some way, we all decided that the point of meditation was to clear the mind. There's like this one dude out there telling everyone that in order to meditate, we have to you, clear our mind. You actually can't clear your mind. I'm going to interrupt you for one second. You can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen. You can't even go three seconds without a thought. So it's not clearing your mind that doesn't actually exist. So, okay. Yes. Thank you. Preach it. <laughs> Preach it. It's impossible. You know, the yeah. mind thinks involuntarily, just like all the heart beats the involuntarily. Exactly. And yet people have been trained or told that in order to meditate, you have to clear the mind. And so we just are setting ourselves up for failure. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, mind, shut, so shut up, shut down. Oh, sure. Like a snack. Oh no, I'm thinking about <laughs> snacks. I suck at meditation. I quit. And then that's the beginning and the end of most people's career. Oh, and it's gosh. so sad because they yeah. potentially robbed themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment and better performance oh, wow. simply because they're robbing them, they're making decisions based on misinformation. So the number one thing is that, as you said, it's impossible to clear the mind. That's not the point. I would argue that- I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. Yes. So good. Meditation is to get good at life, not to get uh, good at meditation. That's because we great. All, yeah. It's, it's going to be like on my tombstone, I think. <laughs> we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. That's so good. And such a basic principle. I've never heard someone say it like that before. Mm -hmm. Because if you're trying to get good at meditation, and if you think the point of meditation is to clear your mind, then it's just a constant cycle of failing. And then you're in the meditation shame, shame spiral. And so that's a really big one. And then one that we've sort of touched on, but not really is a big barrier to entry is that folks think that they're too busy to meditate. And, And that's happening for two reasons. One, they think that meditation is, or they think that mindfulness is meditation. So with the state change, which is very important, because it's not dealing with the trait change, because it's not fully healing that stress from the past, then the return on time investment is not as high as it could be. Meaning, oh, I was really stressed. I did 10 minutes of mindfulness. I feel better in the now. But really the reason why I harp on the performance capabilities of meditation so much is because when you start to deal with that stuff from the past, that's what makes you smart. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Exactly. And the smarter, but I just want to emphasize that when you start dealing, these things do block your intelligence because they, they block your ability to function. So when you, we see when people start managing their mind, a dramatic increase in cognitive power and fluency and intellect. So you, you mentioned that earlier on, but it's, I mean, scientifically, I've seen that seen that people's IQs go up. You mentioned earlier on, I've seen them go up sometimes 25 and 30 points. So yeah, with people with brain damage. So, you know, that is as you as you manage your mind as opposed to clearing your mind, you see a function. So I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but you you're getting me so excited here. So <laughs> 
Love it. I could do this all day. So, but that, that, as you said, like increased cognitive function, increased physical performance, like all of those things are going to make your life better. They're going to make you faster at whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you're doing. So you actually find that you have more time. So yes, you are investing 15 minutes twice a day, but you're not spending 15 minutes twice a day. None of us have time to spend. All of us have time to invest. I love it. Like I don't have $10,000. Yeah, like I don't have $10,000 to spend, but I do have $10,000 to invest if I think I'm going to get a return on that investment. Exactly. It's the same with our time, which I would argue is even more valuable than money. We can't get that time back. Mm-hmm. So we want to take care that if we're going to you know, spend our time, that it's actually an investment. And so once I, once people understand that, that when, yes, I invest that, but I get more time in my day, then the busy myth falls away. But here's what's underneath I'm too busy to meditate is really, I'm terrified of feeling my feelings. That's so good. Like, I don't want to sit with myself. I don't want to hear what's going on in there. I don't want to feel these emotions that I've been shoving down for 40 years. You know, there's billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that you never have to feel a feeling. And and the meditation does the opposite. A lot of people think, well, oh, it'll numb me. I have zero interest in teaching meditation in a way that is a pain pill. I have a lot of interest in teaching meditation in a way that is a resilience building tool. And so part of that is that it's ringing you out. Out. You know, it's, it's, it's getting this stuff up and out. And so there is like a price of admission, if you will, you know, you're going to have to move through, there is no way around, but through. And, and so again, that's my job is to help people move through that safely, but it's, it's really important that people know that it's not a numbing tool. And, and that, that I think is really when people are like, Oh, I'm too busy to meditate. It's just, they're looking for any escape route from feeling the feeling. That is so good. And as you say, the, the, these are billion dollar industry built on suppressing feelings. So your average anti depressant, which isn't really an antidepressant, it's just a brain damaging numbing of emotions and disconnecting you from those emotions. And we know from all the neuroscientific research, from all the body uh, mind integrative research, that until you actually face something, if you until you're conscious of this, you can't change it. So you have to you have to go through the hard work of embracing and processing. So I also say that with the work I've been doing with my when I practiced 25 for 25 years, and still what I'm doing now, you'll see it in my post is you have to go through the pain. It's in the pain that you create the weakness of this, this weakens when you're in pain and then you move through the pain to the other side. So that is so important. It's the opposite message to, and you also, I love what you said there, but it's not a numbing pill. It is actually teaching people how to deal with the pain. There's a price of admission. And we've been told the price, we've been told that any kind of price of admission, we shouldn't have, there's something wrong with you, suppress it. And that's not, doesn't work. That just doesn't, that just damages the brain and damages the body. Your body's the perfect accountant. And so every Taco Bell, every all-nighter, every breakup, every firing from a job, and not only in your lifetime, but I'm sure you can speak to this with more intelligence than I can, but probably for the next for the past two to maybe even seven generations. Yeah. You know, we're we're inheriting this stuff. Epigenetically. Yeah. And so it's important that we stop these cycles of trauma for ourselves and for future generations. Looking for some great gifts that will definitely bring big smiles this holiday season? My go-to for the best gifts is Jenny Kane. Jenny Kane is the ultimate gifting destination. With special pieces, there's something for everyone on your list. Whether it's a sweater for your other half or shelling slippers for cross-country friends, there's no place like Jenny Kane for the holidays. From wardrobe essentials to everything that makes your space feel like home, these are timeless pieces that everyone will love. I recently bought all my daughters a few special items from Jenny Kane for Christmas and even treated myself to some cozy cashmere sweaters and a beautiful household decoration. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com and get 20% off your first order when you use the code DrLeaf at checkout. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com promo code D-R-L-E-A-F. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. So meditation, the way you teach it, is, is is a way of really getting, there's a price of admission, you're really going to get into the pain, but you do, at the same time, you are going to, you're not, you're not letting them just hang, you're there to guide them through the process, which is very important. That's why I emphasized that in the beginning and asked you those questions. You do have that that support, which is very important. Okay, the que- this is maybe a, a silly question, but I think it's a very important question. What are the different types of meditation and how do you, obviously you teaching what you feel is the best one, but there are different different types of meditation and how, what, what are they and what is, how is yours different? 
mean, you've given us the big picture of how it's different, but in terms of like maybe technique a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so there's thousands and thousands of different styles of meditation. It was funny, like when the pandemic hit, it was like everyone, P. Diddy, Lizzo, like literally everyone came out with a guided meditation. I know. There was like YouTube, everything was like, wow, it was. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, okay, is this this the world now? But so there's thousands, there's too many styles. I certainly don't know all the styles, but I can can simplify and, and break it down a bit. So If we want to be super simple, we could just do those two categories of directed focus or non-directed focus, you know, basically where you're concentrating, pointing your mind towards something or a non-directed focus where it's all about surrendering or some people call it like an open awareness. Oh, I just shot a kid's course, which I'm so excited about. It's so good. We shot it last week. We have a whole puppet and it's called Ziva Kids. But anyway, the way I describe it to my kids is this. I said, okay, take your hand and make a fist and now open your fist. I said, I'm making fist again. I said, this is mindfulness. This is the concentrating. This is the focusing. And then I said, open your hand. And I said, this is meditation. Wow, you're surrendered. Good. You're available. And so it would be like dhyana versus, what's the other Sanskrit word? Dhyana is like the open awareness versus, I can't remember the other Sanskrit word right now. But there's also the things that people are very familiar with that are in the zeitgeist would be Vipassana. Vipassana is like a 10-day silent meditation retreat, no reading, no writing, no eye contact, no talking, 10 hours a day, no moving, like very austere, very monastic. And I've done a Vipassana retreat and it was amazing. And the way I would describe it versus Ziva is that that was like psychic surgery, whereas Ziva is more like physical therapy, right? Like that, you're not going to do Vipassana every day or every week or maybe not even every year, you know, unless you're very dedicated and it takes to have 10 days away from your family, away from your job, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot. And so, and it was, it was beautiful and I loved it. And I've never once practiced that style since I got home. Mm-hmm. You know, so Ziva is meant to be done in your, in your day, as a, every day. As a lifestyle. Exactly. And so where a lot of people, if we want to go back to like the origins of like the focused versus the non-focused, most of the focus styles, even mindfulness as we know it now is a derivation of monastic styles of meditation. So even headspace, mm-hmm. right? As user-friendly as it is, yeah. was developed by a monk yeah. and nothing wrong with it, but it's where it gets a little tricky is that if you're not a monk, and you're trying to practice a monastic practice, it can feel hard. You can Mm. think like, oh, I'm failing. I'm not able to focus. I'm not able to concentrate. I'm not disciplined enough. Mm. Whereas at Ziva, because it's made for people with busy minds and busy lives, the meditation portion of the technique is based on something that's 6,000 years old, but something that was not made for monks. It was made for what we would call householders. The The average person in the street. Exactly. And, so, like, and, by, and by average person, it's like, oh, you have a job, you have a kid, you have less time You're not a in monk, your yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you met, monks are meditating all day mm-hmm. versus householders. You have a job, you have a kid, you have less time with which to meditate. And so that's why we use tools like a mantra is to basically expedite that state change, to expedite that de-excitation of the nervous system. So monks might call using a mantra cheating. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's cheating because you want to, yeah. you, have, you have less time in your day. So you want to yes. really go in clean house so that you can be the best mom, dad, partner, employee yeah. that you can be. And with that, there is it's just very powerful. And that's why it's not free on an app. That's why you, I don't teach a one day meditation class. It's like, if you want to do the course, you have to do the whole course. It's a matriculation. It's why we offer so much support afterwards, because that, that purging, as we've talked about many, many times, it's, it can be intense. Very intense. different than the mindfulness, which is just the state change, which you can put for free on an app with no guidance and no follow-up and no instruction. Yeah, it's a totally different state. So it's actually somewhere in between. It's not the all day, but it's it's the all day concept brought into, as you say, the householder, a practical, sustainable time cheat. The good, a, a good cheat. Yeah, well, just the mantra. They're, well, there's totally different styles. So Vipassana is very different from Ziva. I just did it as something different as far as to like show intellectual... That- curiosity, but it, 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 there's no Vipassana inside of Ziva. Okay. So just very quickly, you talk, you did speak earlier on about not being, how we can't clear our minds and you talk about, you, you use the fist and you use the open hand. Explain how the open hand is not clearing your mind. So what are you doing? I know you can't teach the whole technique now because it's obviously, it's got to be done properly within the, within the course. I understand that. We need a sort of a clearer understanding of what is this versus that. And then also in terms of mantra, you know, you said that there's also a misunderstanding of what mantras are. Maybe you can just define that a little bit more. So as much as you possibly can, I'm not sure if you can 
just help understand? So if we were to think about the mantra as a mind vehicle, right? So actually almost like an anchor is a really good analogy for it because if you're on the surface of your mind, the waves are really, you know, fast and choppy and there's lots of turbulence on the top, but we can drop that anchor. We can drop that mantra down and it starts to de-excite the nervous system. We start to access these more subtle states of consciousness. And a lot of us think, okay, well, if I can clear my mind, then I will be happy. That's like the old misinformation. Yeah, if yeah. I could just clear my mind, then I will experience bliss. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Every single thought we think is moving us towards greater fulfillment. Mm-hmm. If I could just get married, then I would be happy. If I could just get a million dollars, then I will feel safe. Even suicide, right, is moving us towards greater fulfillment. This is so painful. I can't handle it anymore. Let me end it. And then I will be happy. So every thought we think is trying to move us towards greater fulfillment. And so what the mantra is doing is that it's not clearing the mind, but it is helping us to access these subtle inner states of consciousness, which is where our fulfillment lives. It's inside of us always. Mm -hmm. And so you access this fulfillment, you access this bliss inside, and then the mind cannot conceive of a thought that would deliver it greater fulfillment than it is already experiencing. And then the mind falls silent. Mm-hmm. Not for okay. long, just for a moment. And then what happens right after that is that the body starts releasing stresses in the form of thoughts. And, that, and then we come back up to the surface and then we just float back. And that whole mm-hmm. cycle is meditation. And, and it is the mantra, it is actually the sound quality of the mantra that helps to de-excite the nervous system, okay. which that sounds hippy-dippy, but it's actually a whole no, branch of science no, this- called, you know, cymatics. And also links into quantum physics because it's frequency, it's sound frequency. I assume if I'm just linking it back to what I understand. So if you, does the mantra is a sound? Mm-hmm. You're not chanting them out loud. You're just thinking them in your mind. Okay. But just like you could imagine the color purple in your mind's okay. eye, you also have a mind's ear. Like we could all sing yes. somewhere over the rainbow silently in our minds right now. Yeah. And that would do something different than like chanting heavy metal in our yeah. brains silently. Yeah. And so it's a similar phenomenon inside the mind. Okay. All right. Well, that makes a little, that makes it much clearer. So you can see why it's so important not to just dive in and do, well, everything that's freely available and that's out there and available is, is actually more, as you say, mindfulness. So things like echo meditation, anything where they are directing your thinking, which is very different to what you're teaching, which is really going deep inside and getting in touch with an unconscious mind, which is amazing. Okay. Fantastic. And it's not to diss guided meditations. Like I did one no. yesterday. Sometimes it's nice to have someone hold your hand, especially if you're wanting to do something specific. You know, if you had a cold and you wanted someone to walk you through like an immune boosting something like, so there's definitely a purpose to it. Okay, so that's- But for this cellular healing, for this like clearing of the old trauma and the old stress, it's just it's infinitely more powerful when your body is doing it on its own rhythm and its own way where, cause your body knows how to heal itself. And if someone oh, totally, else is directing yeah. that, then it can just, it's not as intelligent as your body is. Yes. You've got this inner wisdom. I always talk about the wisdom of the non-conscious mind and how we've got to access that. And you've got to get the connection between the conscious and the non-conscious, which are the techniques that I've developed, teach you how to actually do that. And it, then it gets that, it activates that natural healing in the body, which is so important. Now that's fantastic. So you've made that very, very, very clear. Clear. You talk about emotional clearing, and that's kind of what you've been describing. But let's just talk a little bit more about emotional clearing, maybe be a bit more specific. Yeah. So this is, I mean, my understanding, and I want to make sure I'm answering the question that you're asking, but what I would call emotional clearing is something that I learned from my therapist. His name is Thomas Jones. He's the founder of the paradox process. And I have an interview with him on our self-care center where he basically has a technique called paradox process, which I liken it to speed therapy, meaning that you're just going in and he's asking you a series of questions some that are true, some of them that aren't, but they have an emotional charge around them. Mm-hmm. And he basically has you say a phrase out loud that acts almost like a delete key. Mm-hmm. And I don't, to be honest, I, I don't fully understand the science on it, but I've, I've been working with him for like 17 years personally. Yeah. And it's just, it's like one session with him just goes like, and it just feels like it clears all the layers of the onion so that you can get to the truth so that you have some yeah. object, objectivity around something. So that's my understanding of emotional clearing. You know, some of that's happening with the meditation as well, because you're not as like, you're not like a minefield, you know, like if all that stuff is in your nervous system, like someone looks at you the wrong way and you're like, rah, but if you've been cleaning that up a little bit, then you're more resilient and and you can go into those waters with a bit more bravery. 
Okay, that's fantastic. All right, so let's let's transition now to just maybe just summarizing what you've been saying because you've you said quite a, you've said a lot of fantastic information. I just want to make sure people understand that the difference you've said it so many times. But let's just summarize now. Give us a sort of summary, pearl of wisdom, kind of moving forward statement that can help people understand why it's so important to really get into meditation properly and not just you know and not be frightened of it. Yeah. Well, I think the the main thing is that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. And so who doesn't want to be better at life? And the beautiful thing about that is you get to define that. What better at life looks like is up to you. And so this is not a doctrine or a dogma. It's not a religion. It's just you being the best version of you. It's you without the stress. And the roadblocks that we've talked about is that a lot of people think that they have to clear their mind, which they don't. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. And that where this gets confusing for people is that because there's so much out there, mm-hmm. people don't know what style they should be doing. Yeah. And so the apps are great. They're a great gateway drug. But let's remember that this is your brain that we're talking about. Right. And so it's responsible for printing every cell in your body and making every single decision in your life. And so, you know, you get what you pay for, like a free app. It's like, okay, are you going to put your hand, your brain in the hands of a free app? You know, and so and your mind, yeah, mind and yeah, brain. Mm-hmm. and and I'd love to know what's your different. How do you define the difference between brain and mind? Massive difference. So the brain is a physical organ, and the mind is basically works separately from the brain, but inseparable. So the mind is how we think, feel, and choose, and it's an it's it's mind in action. So that's the you get the non-conscious and the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, and it basically moves through the brain. The brain's simply a responder. So they're not the same thing, but they inseparable. They separate but inseparable. So you can't function. You need your brain to be able to function. Your brain is where you're going to you're going to store your actual thoughts. Thoughts are real things. Thoughts are filled with memories. So you build them in physically and structurally into the brain, and then that immediately impacts in a quantum speeds impacts every cell of your body. And then you also your so your mind is like your spiritual part of you. That's kind of an easy way of understanding it. And the most basic definition of mind is how you think, feel, and choose. So your mind moves through your brain. Your brain is a responder. It's a very sophisticated responder, but it doesn't produce your mind. You can do whatever you want with a dead brain. It will never produce mind. It's the aliveness of a person. It's that life of that person, that ability that we have to process, and which is thinking, feeling, and choosing. So that's, that's how I define it. Thank you for that. So beautifully said. I've once heard of that. If you think of your body, which includes the organs, which include the brain, if you think of that as the baseball glove, yeah. your spirit is the hand, right? And so the sphere is inside and it's shaping the baseball glove. Is it soft? Is it big? That's also, is it small? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like also a nice said, way. Yeah, the brain is that's a nice way of thinking of it because the brain's responding, but a lot of a lot of the neuro reductionistic philosophy of the last 30, 40, 50 years has been all about brain and brain and the, there's a big debate amongst neuroscientists of and there's a lot of challenge and a lot of emphasis being put on the brain, 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 and the brain produces mind. It cannot produce mind. No gene can switch itself on. It's your mind that activates genes. It's your mind that activates the brain. So our body's a responder. And we drive the response. And obviously, if we don't look after our body, we can, but there's a feedback loop that's set up. So that's why, you know, meditation, diet, exercise, all these things, uh, correct eating are vital. And on that note, I want to ask you, do you have concerns or maybe some things that make you very excited about the wellness industry, which is so predominantly mindfulness, meditation and food? What excites you and what concerns you about the wellness industry? Well, I'll say what concerns me right now, certainly in wake of the social climate, is, is just the whiteness and wellness and how inaccessible so much of this is to mm. communities and groups of people that need it most. Mm. And and also the mostly calling myself out here, but that many of us have taken practices that came from black and brown communities and then made them inaccessible to those black and brown communities. Mm. And so I'm just being really honest with myself it's and so out good. my role is in that. And, you know, because it's, it's a complicated, we'd have to do a whole nother podcast on it, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's complicated. And I'm not sure that I know exactly how to fix it right now, but I'm, I'm working on it and dealing with experts. And so there's that. I've, That's very interesting. If I could just ask you about that, that we've taken the wellness industry's taken practices from the BIPOC community and put them into, into a wellness and made it almost inaccessible financially. So it's kind of, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, just that there are some people that would argue, I mean, you know, all civilization was born out of Africa. You know, like all of us came out of Northern Africa and these techniques, like there's a fascinating series called India 
it was like a BBC series called India. And it went all the way back to like, you know, the beginning of humans in Northern yeah. Africa and how the, some of those humans walked like from Africa all the way into Northern India, which is now geographically Pakistan. And that's really where a lot of these practices, like what we understand to be meditation that we assume mm. in India is actually now geographically Pakistan. And the reason why we consider meditation to be Indian is because it was geographically very protected. So it was like two mountain ranges and then two oceans. And so for thousands of years, no one could get, no one, we didn't have ships and we couldn't get over the Himalayas. And so it wasn't until relatively recently that it got colonized. And so for thousands of years, these ancient practices had been held sacred and kept alive. Whereas, you know, indigenous cultures of like Mexico and mm -hmm. Australia and other, you know, other places where they had really thriving, very advanced civilizations and techniques. Yeah. Many of that when colonization happened, those techniques were destroyed. Just, so yeah, we lost yeah. those technologies. Yeah. But almost every civilization, in, like indigenous civilization, had Head. some sort of yeah. mind or breath or, you know, Mayans mm. reportedly could walk on the bottom of the ocean for seven minutes holding mm. their breath. Like, you know, very advanced human these. capabilities. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so... With India, you know, what I teach comes like the meditation portion of Ziva does come from practices that originated in India. And so I'm just now like asking like the questions of, you know, is this cultural appropriation? If I were to be paying homage or paying someone like who would that even be? be. Because it's not like I went into like studied with some monks and stole their stuff and then came no. back and I'm making money off of it. And so it's a little tricky because in the lineage that I teach, the teachers were saying, well, India is now looking to America for pop culture. So they actually tried to get these tools and techniques into the hands of Americans so that it would then like reverse influence India. Ah, okay. So there's a whole very complex dynamic, but it's really good you've raised the conversation because it looks to our implicit biases that we potentially have and, you know, the importance of also a collectivistic society that we all have something that can help each other. And But you've raised a really important question there. That's like fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, so see, that's what's troubling. And then what's exciting yeah, to me about wellness is, well, part of it, you know, just with the pandemic, you know, there is, there is so much accessible, like so many people yeah. have gone online. So many people are putting things out for free, yeah. which is awesome. And so now if you have a smartphone, you know, you can access some of the world's best yeah. entertainers, educators, yoga teachers, meditation teachers. And so people really are putting things out for free. So provided that you have yeah. at least enough abundance to have a smartphone or the internet, yeah. then, then that's exciting to me. But I'd say what is also exciting is that we're starting to look at manifesting in a way that's not just vision boards and unicorns, that it's actually like we have to deal with life, the, the darkness. We have to look at what created our limiting beliefs. Yes. We have to look mm -hmm. at the thing that's actually driving the ship. Mm. And, and, and I think that as we heal that stuff, as we heal those traumas, we really oh, eyes open, look at the traits that we've inherited mm. from our lineage. I think that that will help us to heal some of the issues that are causing the other racial and socioeconomic divides. Mm, I love that. I totally agree with you. I believe, you know, we've taken the lid off a of Pandora's box. We've taken the lid off and people are very frightened and it's been unfortunately kind of almost channeled into a very reductionistic concept of there's a big pandemic coming in mental health. People are going to be mentally ill, but it's not that people are going to be mentally ill. It's that people are having very human reactions to very challenging situations going on. And we should because things that were suppressed are now evident. People have had more time to sit back and think and people are more observant and people are more aware. And there's an increase in, aware in awareness, which we've needed for so long. For 30 years, we've been suppressing that awareness. So we've now really started increasing our awareness. And that's painful. It goes to the discussion we've been having. When these things start coming up, it's very painful and it requires a lot of work. And you can't just shove it back down and suppress it with a drug. We actually have to do the work collectively as a society to make those changes. Gosh, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic discussion and something, well, it's a conversation that we have begun but haven't ended. So let's do it again. Let's do a continuation of part two because it's been so, so much, so interesting. Oh, I would love that. I would love that so much. So thank you for the work that you do in the world and thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, last question. Where can people find out about your course and about you? We will put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. The easiest place is just zivameditation.com. Ziva is sort of a weird word. It's Z-I-V-A meditation.com. And you can okay. find the course, the book, that self-care center, all of that is there. Why did you choose the word Ziva? What does it mean something? 
Yes, it's a Sanskrit word that means bliss, and oh, it's also lovely. a Hebrew name that means one who is radiant or kind. So I like that it was a feminine name. Oh, I like that it meant bliss it. and that radiance and kindness. So a Hebrew word that means radiance and kind, and a Zila word, a, a sans- Sanskrit word you said that means bliss. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much again. Ah, what a joy. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for That's having me. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.